Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Devour Utah, a monthly magazine devoted to covering Utah's dining and drink scene with a spotlight on cooking, local happenings, and libations. Available at newsstands or online at devourutah.co. And Utah Humanities, improving communities through ideas in action. Online at utahhumanities.org. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Today we take a new look at the takeover of the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge in Harney County, Oregon, 2016. Armed militants seized the headquarters of the refuge for 41 days and occupied the community for three months. Militants threatened and harassed local residents, pledging to give back the land uh, to unnamed rightful owners in their effort to enact a fringe interpretation of the U.S. Constitution. And uh, University of Oregon professor Peter Walker uh, spent uh, a lot of time in Harney County, including during that takeover. He's out with a new book called Sagebrush Collaboration. He says militants failed in their objectives because the citizens of Harney County invested decades in collaboratively solving the very problems that the militia used to justify their anti-federal government revolution. Peter Walker studies the social factors that shape human interactions with the environment, with an emphasis on rural American West and Africa. Uh, Professor of Geography at uh, University of Oregon. Peter Walker, welcome to the program. Good morning. Uh, Good morning to you. I I believe uh, here at the the beginning you, you you have some connections to Utah. Um, yeah, my mom and my stepdad live in Logan. Yeah. Um, so uh, t- tell me about this. Uh, this seemed to, I mean, it seems like you write in the book, seems it was meant to be that you would uh, spend time here and, and cover these issues. First of all, you study these issues. Then when the standoff happened, you were on sabbatical. So you had some time to go out there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I say that um, if Anna Bundy and the, and his supporters were going to take over the Miller National Wildlife Refuge. I really appreciated that they did it um, when I was having a research sabbatical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was good timing for me. Yeah, it was good timing. Uh, it, you're, it, the sound's coming in a little unclear. Maybe to put the, the uh, phone a little closer to your mouth, maybe? Um, it's about as close as I can oh, get. Oh, okay. That. All right. Okay, we'll, we'll go with that. Um, uh, so the... the uh, We'll loop into these specific incidents here, but uh, the the title is very interesting, Sagebrush Collaboration. You're making a reference, obviously, to Sagebrush Rebellion. You go into a bit of the history here uh, in the book. Uh, maybe we could, uh, you know, retrace some of that. Um, Sagebrush Rebellion, that's been going on for, for quite a while. The outlines of it, of course, uh, resistance against federal government control of, of lands. Is that, I guess that's a simple way to put it. Well, yeah, you have to go back to the period of European expansion in, in the U.S., um, in the West in particular. And for a long period of time, really until about the, 19, the late uh, 19th century and the early part of the 20th century, uh, there weren't very many controls on what are today typically um, public lands, federal public lands. Um, it was a bit of a free-for-all. <laughs> and... Um, Toward the beginning part of the, the 20th century, new uh, rules were put in place, um, probably most famously the Trailer Grazing Act. Uh, and um, a lot of people who had been accustomed to simply using public, what are today the public lands, um, began to uh, you know, have to pay for uh, access to those lands, and the lands themselves were regulated. Uh, and some people simply you know, didn't 
like having to pay for things that they didn't used to have to pay for. And uh, so, you know, right from uh, the late 19th century and early parts of the 20th century, um, there was resistance, yeah. Um, it, it, let's uh, bring it forward to, uh, I guess, 2014, wasn't it? The, the standoff at Clive and Bundy's uh, ranch. And that had direct ramifications right. to, to Malheur uh, due to the lessons that uh, you say that the Bundys learned from that standoff. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, <clears throat> the 2014 event that you're referring to, I presume most people are familiar with it, but uh, Clive and Bundy, the patriarch, of the Bundy family had been grazing in the Virgin Valley of um, Clark County, uh, Nevada, for, um, I guess, since about 1948. He purchased the uh, property that he currently has. Uh, And uh, he had had a a BLM grazing permit allotment um, and had grazed in the the way that most ranchers do uh, with uh, a permit from the BLM. In um, the 1990s, uh, the BLM uh, began to implement some new conservation restrictions for the desert tortoise, uh, and Cliven didn't like uh, the new restrictions that were placed on his grazing practices, and he basically told uh, the BLM and the federal government that he had no interest in uh, continuing to pay fees or have a contract, for that matter, Uh, with the federal government for grazing, and he just didn't renew his contract. Uh, The BLM kept telling him, you know, you're in violation of the law, you uh, need to stop this. Um, Various court orders were issued and said that, uh, you know, Mr. Bundy, you 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 need to abide by the rules that everybody else plays by, and he just uh, uh, refused to do so. And he made the argument that the federal government really never had, and this was a very debatable point. His view uh, was that the federal government never actually owned that land at all or had no constitutional right to own the all-land land, um, and that he as uh, he claims to be one of the original, uh, or be descended from some of the original settlers in that area and therefore had vested long-term historical vested rights, uh, and that the federal government couldn't take those away. So they had basically a kind of a stalemate uh, for quite a number of years, for about 20 years, uh, where the BLM was basically saying, you know, you're you're in violation of the law. And finally, in, I think it was 2012, um, a court said, you know, you you can't keep doing this. And it took them a while, took the BLM a while to actually um, uh, do something about it. so in 2014, uh, the BLM did initiate a, an, an attempt to round up uh, Cliven's cows because they were in violation of the law from the perspective of the BLM. And at that point, uh, the Bundy family called for supporters from the uh, so-called Patriot or militia groups who showed up uh, at Cliven's ranch uh, in Bunkerville, Nevada, and um, that's point at which the media became aware of what was going on. So you had these folks with um, guns uh, that they pointed at federal agents who were attempting to round up Clevin's cows, and it became extremely tense. And I wasn't personally there or observing it, but uh, from everything that I've heard, 
uh, a lot of people believe that it came very close to some sort of um, tragic outcome where people were lives would have been lost. There was a lot of gun. There were a lot of guns present. Uh, there were a lot of people angry. There was a lot of potential for uh, something very bad to happen. Uh, the law enforcement uh, agencies that were involved, including the BLM, made a choice to back down at that point uh, to avoid a potential uh, loss of life, which made sense at the time, uh, but it also gave the Bundy family, um, justifiably, the sense that they had won. Uh, and the way I sometimes uh, describe it is that basically you have uh, one individual family and uh, you know, a few dozen or a few hundred uh, armed supporters who successfully faced down the most powerful government that the world has ever known. And the Bundy family... Uh, felt empowered by that situation, and they were literally looking, uh, in a sense, you can, uh, I've used the word shopping, uh, they were shopping around for opportunities to, in a sense, sort of springboard from uh, what they considered to be an, a success at Bunker Bill and facing down the federal government to find up other opportunities to push back against the federal government. And they looked at various sites and uh, the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge, Harney County, uh, for various reasons, uh, seemed like a good choice to them. And we'll get into that, obviously. Um, I-, I want to uh, pause that right here and, and ask about, well, first of all, the you know, there's the militia movement, and then the later and currently the patriot movement. Uh, I wonder if you talk a little bit about uh, the, you know those two movements. Um, the, uh, interestingly, the, the, a lot of people in in Harney County, referred to them as militia, although it's a uh, it's earlier title because they were yeah. uh, offended <laughs> that they're co-opting the word patriot, right? Well, yeah, um, you have to. When I came to Bur- uh, when I went to Burns uh, in uh, early 2016, so what the way I became involved with it, I didn't know what was happening uh, uh, at the time that the Bundys showed up in Harney County, which was in late. 2015, uh, there wasn't a lot of news coverage of it, and uh, what little news coverage there was, I missed. And so I learned about it the same way that most people did, which is actually, in my case, on Oregon Public Radio. Uh, I woke up one morning on Sunday, January 3rd. I woke up, and uh, there was a report that the Bundy family had taken over Melior National Wildlife Refuge, um, and that, of course, got my interest. Um, so I'm it took me a few days to you know, basically drop the other things that I was doing at that point, and I drove out to uh, Burns to see, to observe what was happening. And the first thing that you saw uh, driving into Burns was there were a lot of uh, individuals who uh, appeared to be from other places, um, uh, the so-called patriot or militia groups, uh, who were you know clearly... Uh, in, in a sense, looking for some sort of, they appeared from the perspective of an outsider uh, and from the perspective of many in the community to be spoiling for a fight. Uh, they were, uh, in many cases, quite heavily armed. Uh, they had sidearms. In some cases, they had long guns publicly displayed. Uh, in Harney County, you know, people in Harney County are quite politically and culturally conservative. Most people there 
uh, own guns, uh, but very few people ever openly carry guns in public. It's actually considered uh, kind of rude to do so. Uh, and these folks who had come in from the outside uh, were carrying guns everywhere they went. They were approaching people uh, in public spaces, um, you know, uh, grocery stores, um, you know, the feed store, all kinds of public places. And... Um, acting in ways that local people considered to be aggressive. Uh, they were trying to get people to support their cause, but they were doing it in a way that many people considered to be a form of intimidation. Uh, and so local people gave them the word militia uh, as opposed to patriots. They didn't consider that what the, these groups were doing uh, in Harney County was at all patriotic. I mean, the way... <laughs> the way describe it is you don't come into somebody else's community with an agenda that's not that community's concern, frankly, uh, and carry around a bunch of guns and act aggressively towards people who um, are just minding their own business and want to go about their daily lives. They didn't, people in Harney County didn't consider that patriotic at all. Americans don't do that to other Americans and wave the flag and consider themselves to be patriotic. Mm. Why do you think uh, Ammon Bundy, um, uh, he, he must have thought, well, this is prime ground. Uh, you know, we'd, we had a ranching, uh, ranchers uh, stand up to the federal government. They're in Bunkerville. Uh, these are some ranchers and loggers and miners. They're going to have a beef with the federal government. Uh, we'll be successful here in enlisting their support. I, I, you could see how maybe he thought they'd, he'd have support. Yeah, and I, I think I know how that happened, um, which is that the Hammond family, uh, which is a, a family in Harney County, they've been there since 1964, uh, they um, had had a longstanding grievance or a longstanding confrontation with uh, both the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service at the Malheur Refuge and uh, the BLM on some of their other uh, allotments. Um, and the way people there described it to me was that the, uh, the Hammond family were considered to be you know, members of the community, but everybody kind of knew that the Hammond family were outliers in the sense that um, they had a particular, particularly strong anti-government uh, viewpoint. I heard people say that, well, the Hammond family were born anti-government. Um, and so they had been in the, a series of confrontations with the federal government, with the LM and the Fish and Wildlife Service, um, for decades, going back at least to the 1980s. And there are files, there are documents which I've reviewed in which uh, the Hammonds have been involved in harassing uh, employees at the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge, including death threats. Uh, that go back for decades. Um, there were many, the Hammonds, uh, fast forwarding for a second, the Hammonds were ultimately convicted on two counts of um, arson, uh, but on public land. Uh, but there were many other uh, charges that had been considered and then dropped by the federal government. And really everybody in that community knew that the Hammonds had been engaged in this pattern of confrontation with the uh, federal government for decades. Um, and so fast-forwarding uh, to 2010, uh, the, the Hammonds were, for reasons that I'm not particularly 
particularly clear about. Um, I've never heard a clear explanation, but after decades of sort of long-simmering confrontation between uh, the federal agencies and the Hammond family, the federal government finally decided they'd had enough, uh, and they took the Hammonds to court, uh, and they were initially uh, facing 19 charges. They were ultimately convicted uh, on uh, two arson charges. Uh, other charges uh, were dropped, and as part of a plea agreement uh, to drop those other charges, the Hammonds agreed and their attorneys agreed not to um, appeal the conviction, not appeal the sentencing on those two convictions, which they knew uh, would involve a, a minimum, what they call a, ma- a mandatory minimum sentence of five years. So they were um, sent, they were convicted, and uh, but what happened, and really the reason that the whole thing exploded the way that it did, uh, was that the federal judge who was charged with sentencing uh, the Hammonds uh, decided that the mandatory minimum sentencing law really wasn't intended to apply to ranchers, um, and therefore the judge the judge rather famously said that it would shock the conscience to apply the mandatory minimum sentencing law, and instead of sentencing uh, White and Stephen Hammond to five years each, uh, the judge sentenced White uh, Hammond to three months and his son Stephen Hammond to one year and one day, uh, which was in violation of the law. The judge, you know, broke the law. (laughs) He wasn't allowed to do that. He retired the next day. Actually, and I presume there was some connection there. There was really nothing much the government could do at that point. The judge was retired. He had broken the law, but he was retired, and there really wasn't much they could do. But the federal prosecutors appealed that conviction. Uh, The uh, federal court came back and said, yes, you can't just ignore the mandatory minimum sentencing law. This is the the word uh, mandatory. (laughs) is in the law. It's mandatory. You can't just ignore that. Uh, and so the government came back and said, yeah, you know, these guys have to go back and finish out their five-year sentences. And people in the community in uh, Harney County um, were angry about that. Uh, it's not technically uh, double jeopardy in a legal sense. Uh, what double jeopardy means in a legal sense is being tried uh, twice for the same the same charges, the same acts. Uh, in this case, what happened was there, there was one trial, one conviction, uh, and two different, two different sentences given, one that was incorrect according to the law and one that was correct according to the law. Um, but that's a distinction that didn't mean a lot to people in Harney County. And so people were angry uh, that this, the Hammonds had been, you know, it felt like... You know, the government had said, okay, here's the deal, you know, three months for Stephen, a year and a day, I'm sorry, um, three months for Dwight and a year and a day for, um, uh, for Stephen, and they had served that, they'd gone home, uh, and that comes the federal government says, sorry, we you know, made a mistake, you have to go back to prison. A lot of people were angry about that, uh, and the Hammond family, sorry, the Bundy family, um, heard about that issue, and they, I think what happened is they saw that as an opportunity uh, to uh, pursue
pursue their agenda, to pursue their anti-federal government cause, because they knew that the community was angry. Uh, what they didn't know, <laughs> and this, a, a lot of people uh, independently came to this conclusion, was that people in Harney County uh, were angry about the situation uh, with the Hammonds, but they were not ready for an anti-federal government revolution, which was basically uh, what the Bundy family and their supporters were uh, offering to the community. Uh, the Bundys came in and they said, "You know, we're going to <clears throat> we're going to ask you guys, you know, people in the ranching community in particular, to basically repudiate your grazing contracts with the federal government, just you know, symbolically tear them up, uh, and uh, just uh, you know, refuse to acknowledge the ownership of the federal government on these uh, public grazing lands at all." Uh, and people in the community knew that that would create a tremendous uh, conflict. And a lot of people felt it was just uh, not even a good idea to begin with. Uh, and uh, so they really misjudged. I think Bundy, Ammon Bundy in particular, misjudged uh, the mood of people in Harney County. People in Harney County had been working for, as you mentioned, for decades and to build collaborative arrangements to deal with precisely, it wasn't in Harney County, I mean, and the Bundy wasn't wrong completely. You know, people do um, have complaints about uh, federal government policy, BLM policy, Fish and Wildlife, uh, U.S. Forest Service policy. But what, they, what people in Harney County had done through various forms of collaborative um, you know, problem-solving had worked out arrangements to, you know, sit down at the table and talk face to face with federal um, uh, federal agents and uh, conservationists, the tribe, and others who had interests in stakeholders who had interests in the uh, management of the land and work out arrangements that worked for everybody. Um, Harney County had been not doing things like that for decades. Uh, it was part of the culture. Harning County. And part of the reason I got involved with it was I knew that. I had been to Harning County um, uh, for a previous project, a previous book that I wrote. And I was aware of these collaborative uh, problem-solving arrangements that people in Harney County had been building for many years, for decades. Uh, and when the Bundys came to Harney County, and they were talking about, you know, uh, overthrowing federal control of, of the Fish and Wildlife Service land at the refuge. Uh, I just went, wow, uh, I can't see how that's going to go over very well in Harney County, of all places, because people there are just not, uh, people in Harney County are pragmatic-minded. Uh, they don't particularly like government, but they're not ready for, they weren't ready uh, for a revolution. And in a sense, the way I've described it was the Bundys were offering radical and potentially violent solutions to problems that the community didn't disagree that they were problems, but they had worked out peaceful, collaborative, nonviolent uh, solutions to those very problems decades earlier. Uh, and the Bundys, frankly, just didn't know that. So they, they, great, yeah, they greatly misjudged mm -hmm. the mood of Harney County mainly because I think they relied mainly on their conversations with the Hammond family uh, to judge the mood. And that, that, the Hammond family was not 
representative of Harney County as a whole. If you just joined us, we're talking with Peter Walker. He is a professor at University of Oregon. New book out, uh, Sagebrush Collaboration, How Harney County Defeated the Takeover of the Malheur Wildlife Refuge. New look at this, uh, uh, the, the big news in early 2016. And, of course, these issues uh, continue. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, uh, I want to get into, uh, in more depth, uh, talking about this collaborative process. Uh, it is a very hopeful uh, thing that they would, you know what they're doing in in Harney County, hopefully replicable. Um, I, I love uh, the description. I guess that the Harney County citizens give themselves to this process. Full contact citizenship. You write in the book, Peter Walker. So, uh, let's uh, let's talk more about that when we come back. More following this break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members, and Cash Arts presents performer and science educator David Epley, Dr. Kaboom, with science experiments designed to involve, excite, educate, and entertain. Monday, January 14th at 7.30 p.m. at the Ellen Eccles Theater. Ticket and seating information at cashearts.org. Cliff Nesteroff is a guy who has something like a crystal ball when it comes to comedy. As a comedy historian and an author, he's noticed trends that keep coming up over and over again. So Cliff Nesteroff will be by to tell you who and what to look forward to for this year in comedy. That's coming up on Q from PRI Public Radio International. This afternoon at 1 o'clock here on Utah Public Radio. Hi, I'm Steve Williams, host of Jazz Time here on Utah Public Radio. I hope you'll join me Sunday evenings for a journey through the world of jazz music, from ragtime to bop, from Havana to Logan, Utah. Tune in for a bit of history, commentary, the occasional interview, and of course, all that jazz. Jazz Time, Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking with Peter Walker. He's a professor at uh, University of Oregon, and uh, a new book is out. He has a new book, Sagebrush Collaboration, How Harney County Defeated the Takeover at the Malheur Wildlife Refuge. This, of course, was big news, uh, nationwide, worldwide news in early 2016. Um, and uh, Peter Walker says that the militants failed in their objectives in that takeover because the citizens of Harney County had invested decades in collaboratively solving the very problems that the militia uh, was using to justify their anti-federal government uh, revolution. So, Peter Walker, I love this phrase, full contact citizenship. Another uh, phrase, apparently, the citizens there in Harney County uh, use is uh, something like, before you complain, have you volunteered? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that's very characteristic of Harney County. Uh, people are very engaged, very involved in uh, civic life. Uh, one thing that I emphasize when I talk about the story of Harney County is it's a very remote uh, county geographically. And as a consequence, and the distances are vast. And this isn't you know, probably uh, much different from, from some places in Utah, uh, where communities really are so geographically dispersed that people have to depend on their neighbors. They have to be able to work together to solve problems. In the case of Harney County, uh, for example, if there's a fire or a, you know, a, a medical emergency or a crime or something like that, it can take several hours, depending on where you're located, depending on the driving conditions, uh, the time of year. It can take several hours for emergency 
responders to come. So people really depend very heavily on their neighbors and on their community. If people get sick, um, people will organize, and this is actually, there's an example of this happening right now. Uh, If someone is sick or injured, the community gets together, they do fundraisers, they have barbecues, and they they raise money for, they do raffles, and they raise money for people who are in need. It's a community that works together very effectively uh, because, in part, they need to. And uh, when the uh, fast-forwarding a bit, uh, when the militia, uh, the the so-called patriots, came to Harney County uh, in response to the activities of the Bundy family, uh, they began to realize that there was at least a substantial part of the community that was just not interested in going along with their program and they opened their you know, their armed revolution against the federal government, which was really what it was ultimately about. Uh, I would actually argue it really wasn't so much about land as about politics. They, they wanted to basically just get the federal government out of Harney County. Uh, and they realized that the... Uh, community was just not interested in doing that. <laughs> there was a memorable quote by uh, one of the militia leaders, um, a so-called uh, a patriot journalist uh, named Pete Santilli, uh, who actually came back to uh, Harney County last summer and rather memorably described Harney County as the most socialistic <laughs> or maybe he might have used the word communist uh, county in America, uh, which is <laughs> pretty hilarious because this is a county that voted 74% for um, President Trump in uh, 2016. This is hardly a socialist county, uh, but this is a community that had a long history of working together because they need to. Uh, they depend on each other. And they're independent, they're, uh, they, they want to do things their own way. And back in the 1970s, uh, there was a lot of friction. The 70s was the period when a lot of new environmental laws were created in the United States. Uh, the Species Act uh, being one of the, the most uh, problematic, the Federal Land Management Policy Act, uh, and other environmental laws that did create a lot of tension all through the West, including Harney County. And so there was a lot of friction in the 1970s, including at the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge. But remember, this is a community that's accustomed to working together, uh, and the federal employees uh, who represented the agencies were, were and are considered parts of the community, And the community having that long history of working together, uh, because in many ways they have to, uh, said, okay, look, we can continue to fight about, uh, you know, endangered species laws or uh, Federal Land Management Policy Act or other federal laws, or we can sit down at the the table uh, and uh, find some solutions that, that work for everybody. And the way people there described it to me was that, well, you know, we, we recognize that there's a need to have the federal government. The federal government does do things that are 
useful and important to us, things like fire protection, uh, uh, water management, things that are very important to the combat community, uh, uh, invasive species control, all kinds of things that are really very important to people who use the land in that community. But they said, you know, if there are going to be these laws uh, coming from the federal government that say, you know, we have to do X, Y, and Z, we at least want to be at the table while we're while the plans are being made, uh, so that we can have a voice in the process of decision making uh, that comes up with actual management plans. And so, from about the late 1990s forward, uh, there were a lot of uh, new, uh, you know, uh, community-based collaborative uh, organizations that were formed specifically with the purpose of finding ways for the community to, in a sense, have that voice at the table from the beginning of the process of formulating federal management plans. And they did that. Uh, And they came up with solutions that really were pretty remarkably successful. One of the things that really (laughs) surprised me a lot uh, was I I got a chance to talk to the Bundy family, as you know, was... uh, uh, put on trial in Oregon and acquitted. They were put on trial in Nevada, and uh, the case was dismissed because of mishandling of evidence by federal prosecutors. So the, the Bundy family, um, uh, Cliven, uh, the patriarch, and the brothers Ammon and Ryan were acquitted. Uh, were the, 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 the charges were dropped, and they were they were uh, allowed to go free. Uh, and so I had a chance to follow up. Um, in conversation with uh, Ammon Bundy in particular, um, who I spoke with at his home in, in uh, Emma, Idaho. And one of the things that I asked him was, was he aware of the collaborative efforts that specifically taken place at the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge? Um, and, and specifically, there was a long effort uh, by the community to develop a uh, grassroots plan uh, with input from the community by the ranchers, by uh, the federal agencies, the tribe, every conservationist, everybody with an interest. They'd gone on from about um, the late 2010s, 20, 2009 through 2013, which uh, resulted in people sitting down at the table and creating something called the Malheur Comprehensive Conservation Plan which was the first federal management plan in the country that was specifically designed uh, through collaborative input with the community from day one. Uh, you know, typically what happens uh, with federal management plans is federal agencies draw up a management plan and then they present it to the community and they ask for input. Uh, what was really different about the Miller Comprehensive Conservation Plan that was issued in 2013 was the community, by choice, uh, their words for it was, got ahead of that process by being involved in the discussions that went into the formulation of the plan. So in 2013, this collaboratively formed plan was issued by the Miller National Wildlife Refuge, and it's one of the only plans uh, in, so far as I know, uh, in federal government history of its type uh, that was never appealed, never sued. Nobody ever sued uh, the federal government for the issue, for issuing the federal 
uh, management plan because all of the stakeholders have been involved in formulating the plan from the very beginning. And in fact, really from before the formal beginning of the, the plan, uh, ranchers in the community uh, got together with some of the federal agents and said, let's do this differently. Let's do this in a way where we're not going to end up basically at war with each other. Let's do it in a way that works for everybody. And so the, the achievement of the Miller Comprehensive Conservation Plan was really enormous. It was groundbreaking. Uh, it was pioneering in many ways. And I had the opportunity to ask Ammon Bundy if he was aware uh, that the very place where he had, in a sense, sort of staked his argument uh, for getting rid of federal agencies, the Mellier National Wildlife Refuge, that was actually the very, the very place where the community had got, gotten together and created this extraordinary, proactive, collaboratively based plan where most people in the community uh, with a few exceptions, uh, including the Hammonds, uh, were quite happy with the outcome. And the answer was no. Uh, Ammon Bundy didn't know about that. And I thought that was pretty extraordinary uh, that he had chosen that very place uh, to take over. And he really didn't know that the community had invested a lot of effort uh, into creating this collaborative plan. Uh, and so people were pretty happy with the outcome of the Malheur Comprehensive Conservation Plan, and they weren't interested in tossing out all of those achievements, uh, all of that effort that they had put into formulating this plan that was working pretty well for, for the community. How much of that, you know, this is hopeful, right? Um, uh, almost all the stakeholders satisfied in, in, in the end. Uh, how much of that is replicable? Can we, we've had, um, you know, attempt after attempt, we have small scale successes here in Utah, but, uh, most recent examples, public lands initiative, Bears Ears National Monument, it exploded into, you know, firestorm controversy. And I think the stakeholders have come out distrusting each other more than when they went in. Uh, what, what are the principles do you think that could be exported from that experience, uh, here at Malheur? Yeah, that, that question has been asked by many, uh, and I think the answer is it's not very easy to replicate what happened uh, in Harney County or what happened at the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge. Uh, and the reason for that is and, and the way that the people who are actually involved in formulating the Malheur Comprehensive Conservation Plan uh, and the the organization that, that really sort of oversaw the creation of that plan and other management plans locally, something called a, a nonprofit community-based organization called the High Desert Partnership. Uh, the people who were involved with that have told me that, well, really the first step uh, in creating these collaborative solutions is that you, you have to start years ahead of whatever, you know, whatever event or you know, planning process um, uh, is coming up down the, down the road. You have to get way ahead of that, and you have to be able to talk to people in the community and build relationships and build trust. Uh, it's not easy uh, for conservationists and uh, people in, you know, the, the resource economy, um, uh, 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 ranchers, um, 
foresters and, and so on aren't accustomed to sitting at the table and and speaking uh, you know face to face in a uh, uh, in a collaborative way with people from the conservation community in particular uh, and so you really have to invest a lot of effort years in advance in developing relationships and trust and if you have an event like the declaration of a national monument in a place like Bears Ears, um, what a lot of people in Harney County have told me is that once it gets to the stage of a crisis, uh, it's really probably too late uh, for, for the kinds of achievements they had uh, in Harney County, uh, that you really need to start with building those human relationships. Uh, for example, uh, the manager, the current manager of the Malheur um, National Wildlife Refuge, a guy named Chad Cardos, uh, and a local rancher, uh, a prominent local rancher in Harney County um, <clears throat> named Gary Marshall, uh, said that, you know, they saw the Malheur Comprehensive Conservation Planning process coming up uh, from 2010 to 2013, and they started building, they, they created the High Desert Partnership, which is this nonprofit organization, community-based organization, to um, uh, facilitate conversations, relationship building in the community. They started that in 2005 uh, in order to uh, promote the kinds of community-based conversations that needed to happen from about 2010 forward for the formulation of the uh, your Comprehensive Conservation Plan. And Gary Marshall, the, the rancher, Chad Carges, the wildlife refuge manager, went into the community, spent a lot of time on phone calls, uh, uh, spent a lot of time in people's homes, um, developing the community relationships and the sense of trust that ultimately became really what made it possible to have those collaborative conversations and the positive outcome of the Malheur Comprehensive Conservation Plan. So unfortunately, I have to tell you that in situations like Bears Ears, uh, where there's a, a fairly sudden event uh, and the community, uh, I, you know that area a lot better than I do, that my understanding is there was a lot of mistrust, a lot of uh, antipathy uh, that had been built up in that community. And I'm not sure that that community at that in time was ready for the kinds of conversations that uh, really work to make the kinds of collaborative uh, outcomes happen that happened in Harney County. You need individuals who are willing to spend a lot of time building those community relationships years in advance of the crisis. And if you wait until the crisis is at hand, it's probably too late. That's at least what the the folks who were involved in the High Desert Partnership and the Malheur Comprehensive Conservation Plan in Harney County told me. If you just joined us, we're talking with Peter Walker. He's a professor at the University of Oregon. Uh, his new book is Sagebrush Collaboration, How Harney County Defeated the Takeover of the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge. Peter Walker, I'd, I'd be interested in uh, maybe some short takes on, I think our, our audience would be interested in in your take on some of these people who became famous um, 
uh, you know, your, your takes on them, uh, both uh, the, the militia, the Patriot Movement uh, people there, and uh, some of the residents of Harney County. Uh, there's a picture, for example, of you uh, shaking hands with uh, Lavoie Finnicum, who is unfortunately a gentleman yeah, who, who yeah. died. I, I really enjoyed talking to Lavoie Finnicum. He was a very gregarious, lively, uh, you know, strong, strongly opinionated individual. But just a, a pleasant person to interact with, and uh, you know, he and I certainly saw what was going on at the Malheur Refuge differently. But uh, we got along great. We had a great conversation, uh, and you know what I what I would say about Lavoy was he was absolutely a true believer in what he was doing. Uh, I absolutely don't for one minute question his good intentions. He wanted to do what was right uh, for that community. He wanted to do what's right for uh, you know America, for our whole country. And he was acting accordingly. And I, uh, <laughs> uh, to, this is a very controversial subject, but um, I'm absolutely convinced that he knew, and I think he was much more realistic than some of the other militia members, um, who were at the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge during the occupation, I think he was much more realistic than some of the others, but there were really only two ways that this was going to end, that the occupation of Malheur Refuge was going to end, that either there would be some sort of violent confrontation or the individuals who were involved in that would go to prison. And uh, reporters repeatedly asked Lavoie, uh, whether he was willing to lay down his life or whether he was willing to go to prison uh, for his actions at the wildlife refuge. And he said in no uncertain terms, but I think the way he described it, I'm not going to be put in a concrete box, period. And so I'm quite convinced personally, and there's no way that anybody can ever prove what was happening in Lavoie's mind at the time that he had the confrontation with Oregon State Police that uh, resulted in the loss of his life, I'm absolutely convinced that he knew that he would have to lay down his life uh, for what he believed in. And I, I personally consider it to have been a misguided cause, uh, but I don't question his conviction, and I admire the fact that he was willing to sacrifice for what he believed in. Uh, as misguided as I do believe it was. Um, He was a lively, committed, passionate person who I very much enjoyed talking to, and most of those people really were. Uh, I don't uh, question their motivations. I think they have a misguided understanding of the situation. Certainly, they didn't understand the situation of the Melior Refuge, Mm -hmm. which was not, for most people in the Harney County community, not a source of great friction uh, in 2016. What, what's your short take on Ammon Bundy? Uh, Ammon Bundy is a very thoughtful, uh, very sincere person. Uh, I personally get along with him just fine. Uh, at extended conversations with him. Uh, I don't, for one minute, again, uh, in Ammon's case, I don't question his sincerity. I don't question his uh, dedication to doing what he believes is right. He has a very specific 
uh, ideological view uh, about the role of the federal government, uh, which is basically that federal government should be shrunk down to the size of a pea, <laughs> and that the federal government has no constitutional uh, right or basic legal basis to be in uh, the, the Western states. Um, I think that he has a viewpoint on the Constitution and, on, for that matter, on history, which is not well informed. Uh, but he's entitled to that. He's entitled to that opinion, and he's absolutely sincere, and he believes that he's doing right. And I would also give him significant points for courage. Uh, in the sense that he he knew, <laughs> uh, he certainly knew uh, that at the Malheur Wildlife Refuge that there was a very good chance that lives would be lost, and he believes strongly enough in his um, purpose and his political uh, ideology, his, which is really religiously based, by the way. His, his religious ideology and his political ideology are really the same thing, and his, he believes in that. He believes what he believes strongly enough that he was willing uh, to potentially give his life. He served a couple of years in prison um, and paid a, you know, a significant cost. Uh, and I think he's willing potentially to continue to do that, which troubles me, mm-hmm. <laughs> to be honest. Um, but I don't question his, his goals. I, I believe he, he's absolutely sincere that he believes he's doing the right thing. And maybe we just have a one minute left. Uh, maybe that's a, a place to end it. Do you, you know, we don't know the future. Uh, do you think the the patriot movement will pick another place to uh, try to provoke a, um, uh, you know, an, an instant an uprising? Yes, but it won't be Harney County. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think they discovered that the community in Harney County really wasn't ready and interested. That the community in Harney County had found other solutions, and they weren't interested in leading uh, a revolution against the federal government. Having said that, um, there are still lots of people in the uh, anti-government, and whatever you want to call it, uh, militia movement, patriot movement. There are anti-government people who I think still are spoiling for a fight, and they will look for other opportunities. And uh, so I, I am certainly concerned about that in the future. I'm not very certain whether the Bundy family will be involved with that. As you know, there was a rather famous uh, high-profile dispute that emerged uh, between specifically Ammon Bundy and the militia community recently having to do with the situation at the U.S.-Mexico border, uh, where Ammon Bundy uh, said that the... Uh, the uh, the migrants at the border are mostly not terrorists and you know, criminals. They're mostly people who are fleeing from uh, hardship, uh, from who are real, you know, genuinely concerned about their safety and their lives, and that we should welcome those people. And he, that was not the opinion of many people in the anti-government, so-called militia uh, patriot movement. And so he kind of burned some bridges potentially there with the militia. So I don't know if there's a uh, if there's another confrontation uh, between the Patriot militia groups and the federal government. I don't know whether the Bundys will be involved with that. Um, go ahead. Yeah, uh, I was just going to say we're uh, just about out of time. Just about thirty seconds left. 
I think that for me, the lesson of what ha- happened in Harney County is that we can avoid those kinds of unpleasant and potentially you know, uh, violent confrontations. Uh, you asked about the model of uh, Harney County, and the model really is people talking to other people and building community, building relation, good relationships of trust. But that's something that we need to do. We need to be investing in community building, building trust um, now and not when a crisis happens, because everybody in Harney County has told me over and over, if you wait until a crisis happens, it's too late. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you you asked about the Sagebrush Rebellion. That's been happening for 100 years. Uh, It keeps popping up at various stages. And I think the way we can put some of that to rest is investing in long-term community building of community relationships before crises happen. You asked, is there going to be another confrontation with the militia? There probably will be, but the way that we deal, we should be dealing with that is building relationships in the community. And I would say that Harney County probably isn't, can't be a model that you can just pick up and move to other places, but it can be an inspiration that communities and federal agencies and tribes and conservationists if they act proactively and if they build those relationships of trust, can come up with solutions that, that solve the kinds of problems that we've been wrestling with in the Western states for 100 plus years. That's a great way to uh, to end it. Uh, Sagebrush Collaboration is the name of the book. Peter Walker, professor at University of Oregon, has joined us. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. And thanks for listening to Access Utah. This is Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences, KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, and also heard at upr.org.